0: Good evening and welcome to Second Congregational Church's evening service. Uh, Today is our last part in the Gospel of Truth. Some of you might be saying thank God. Some of you might be thanking God for this look at these books that were discovered in 1945, and today we're going to wrap up this book written by Valentinus, who was a Christian, you know, early on, they didn't call them Gnostics. They didn't call them Van- Valentinians. Just like we don't call people—you know—you call people Baptist, Congregationalist. They were all Christians. And today we're we're hearing another voice of Christians. And before my before I get started, my friend Glenn Siepert, The easiest way you'll find him is uh, by just seeing me on Facebook. I just shared a post of his. Uh, but he does, He just did a great podcast, that I think it's coming out tomorrow, by, with Elaine Pagels. Remember we read that book? He had her on his show, and uh, he, they, she goes over, this is a Princeton scholar that takes us through uh, more of the background of the Gnostic books. He also made this great shirt that speaks for itself, so I won't be wearing a stole today so it doesn't block it. But Glenn does great work, and he hooked us up with um, this Duke scholar that we featured on our YouTube channel that took us through the Mar- Mary Magdalene. So if you want to know more about Mary Magdalene, that's up on our YouTube channel as well. So, the Gospel of Truth. We're going to wrap this up. The Gospel of Truth teaches us—remember, it's not a gospel— It's not like the fifth gospel, it's just a reflection on the four gospels, so it's not trying to take anybody's uh, authority away. The gospel of truth teaches us that Jesus Christ is the image of God, and most importantly for us, he embodies what we all can be. Christ comes as a guide and teaches us what love is, and that's important to clarify He doesn't simply come and tell us, uh, love one another. He comes to show us how to love one another. Sometimes we recite that, you know, love one another. I mean, that's the equivalent to telling someone to be patient. Telling someone, eat less if you want to lose weight. Oh, thank you. I I needed that advice. I, I didn't see it. Or telling someone work harder, be brave. Oh, that's what I should have done. Be strong, be courageous. Telling someone to just be those things, someone telling someone to change their behavior, is not how you change behavior. What is required for real, lasting growth? Right. If you're playing basketball, Stephen, right, and somebody's not making good shots you just tell them just shoot better (laughs) that's not how you shoot better what's required is understanding you would walk them through it right what's required is knowledge they need to learn this and knowledge in greek the greek word for knowledge the language that our bible was originally written in is greek guess what that word knowledge is Gnosis. Gnostic. Jesus' sole mission was not to die on the cross to be a sacrifice for our sins. If it was, couldn't he have done that much earlier in his life? (laughs) What a hassle it was. (laughs) Or he could have just lived a long life and died quietly in the town of Nazareth when he was about to die. Why the drama? (laughs) See, God didn't want to send Jesus to simply relay the obvious message. Love one another. That's it, God? That's, I already knew that. <laughs> God wanted to show us how to love one another. And how to love ourselves, because it starts there. And the only way to love one another, the only way to love yourself, that's not easy. Is through knowledge. You've got to know yourself. Socrates said that. Again, that word pops up. Gnosis. And so how do we gain gnosis? How do we gain knowledge? How do we ultimately achieve the fulfillment of that great commandment to love God and love one another? as we love ourselves. I saw that post so many times this week, love one another. I know. (laughs) I'm trying. So we just have to look at how Jesus did it. He's the teacher. He's the guide. He's going to show us. I mean, it would have been easier if Jesus did come on the clouds, riding on a white horse. Then he wouldn't have to convince anybody (laughs) that he's the Messiah. He wouldn't have to convince anybody he was the Savior of the world. Jesus was charged by God with the task of teaching us how to love one another and how to love ourselves. So, how did he do it? Well, we could start at the beginning, right? That's where all stories begin. He was born, but he was born into a precarious situation. As soon as he was delivered in that nativity scene, the story says that people were out to get him right away, that King Herod had heard some magi thought a new king would be born in Bethlehem, and that caused Herod to go find this potential threat. Mary and Joseph had to flee to Egypt to escape the big bully in power so that their kid would be spared. Jesus began his life running from bullies right away. Jesus was also born into a family where his actual dad wasn't his actual dad. I grew up as a stepchild, and while I always felt taken care of, you definitely don't have that connection the other kids have with their natural parents. I can imagine that Mary had to do a bit of extra lobbying for her firstborn son. And Jesus, though being the son of God, may have sometimes felt like he was just the son of a man. While we all love the story of the ugly duckling, because we know how it ends, the drama of the story is that the ugly duckling often felt like he wasn't part of the group. He was a kind of an outcast. He was different. Jesus went to Sunday school, Saturday school probably. He went to his local synagogue and learned from the religious teachers as they taught him about God. And in one story, he ends up teaching them. And while that sounds sweet and great, it likely again set him apart from the other kids. He was sensitive to life. He was naturally curious. He didn't go with the flow. So Jesus often felt alone at times. He learned the family trade. He worked as a second-class citizen in the occupied territory of Israel. Imagine imagine having this sense that you're royal, otherworldly, divine, Yet now you find yourself at the bottom of the social totem pole. You know that this is not where you should be, but here you are. This is what life handed you. Jesus would have felt like maybe he was a bit misplaced, disoriented, and I bet that created a bit of doubt in him sometimes about whether or not those inner voices were really the ones he should be listening to. And for a while, he just accepted his fate. He built those shelves, stacked those bricks, and he left those voices, those inner voices, behind in order to fit in. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, we get a glimpse Into what Jesus felt growing up. Paul writes, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. Although he was the Son of God, he learned obedience. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And in another passage, Philippians chapter 2, it says, He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, Jesus set aside those privileges, the privileges of a deity, and took on the status of a slave, a human. Having become human, He stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. You see, it's one thing to have the title God. Jesus was God. The first human to achieve that title. And to be God is to be love. And the process by which Jesus became God, by which he became love, was by living life. He would live out his last three years on earth teaching people to do what he had learned with the 30 years of his life. He looked out for those on the margins, those who weren't treated equally, those who were bullied by those with privilege and power. Do you know why? You know where he learned that lesson? He felt this in his own hometown, even in his own home. (laughs) To not have the privilege and power of being a full son, a full citizen. His ministry was to show everyone, like the woman at the well, the man possessed by demons, the fishermen who went to work every day, that God was not found in temples or in mountains. Theology wasn't found in books. They couldn't read. But rather, God was found in everyday life. And that their stories, who we're reading about, them, their stories, were the books they could learn from. He patiently undid the knots and heavy loads society had placed on people, letting them know that God was not so much concerned with their sins or their church attendance, as he was concerned that they came to know who they truly were. Just as Christ learned he was a son of God, so too were all the people around him, Children of God. That's what John 1 says. But they didn't know it yet. Even the bullies. Even the ones who claimed to know. Even the religious leaders who challenged him. Even the Roman guards and governors who beat and eventually killed him. He said, forgive them, for they do not what? Know. Know. They didn't have the knowledge to know. Day by day and year by year, Jesus, though he was God, though he was God, he learned to be God himself by enjoying the good days, enduring the bad days, and working through the mediocre days. We get the highlights of the, in the Gospels. John, the end of John, says there were many more things Jesus did, but we didn't write them all down. Surprised, we have more books. Even John says there was more to be said. We get the highlights in the Gospels, but surely most of us know what thirty-three years feels like. Good luck, guys. It's a mixed mashup of ups and downs, highs and lows with a vast in-between that can feel anything from mundane to depressing. What Jesus had learned to do, the triumph of this man, was that he learned how to be himself, to be a God, an immortal being, an immortal being, in a mortal world. He learned how to love when no one loved him. He learned how to not get obsessed with being the best carpenter in town. He learned how to love his family despite their character flaws. And he learned to love those who misunderstood him. Jesus learned. He learned to be patient with his stepdad. He learned that his mom was doing her best. He learned that his brothers and sisters were just being brothers and sisters. He learned that the religious leaders were just being religious leaders. That governors were governing, fishermen were fishing. And that's what people do. That's the human experience. To live life. But Jesus added one thing. To live life. And to eventually wake up to what this life is. And Valentinus, the guy who wrote The Gospel of Truth, tells us what Jesus had learned. What's really going on with this life. This is what he writes. Each one will speak when this flesh is gone. Each one will speak concerning the place from which they have come forth and to the region from which they received their essential being. They will hasten to return once again and receive from that place the place where they stood before, and they will taste of that place, be nourished and grow And their own place, their own life will be a place of rest for that is their fullness. Jesus experienced the fullness of who he was before he went back to the place from which he came. He awakened in this life and saw that his story His life was the very life that would teach the whole world. And we're still reading it. Good life, Jesus. We're still learning from it. We're still trying to understand it. But this is where the gospel of truth helps us. Just like we look at Jesus to teach us, we look at his stories We try to live his life in our own life. The gospel of truth flips the script. What if you had to look at your own story? What if you were the child of God? One who is reading your own gospel. Up there in the heavens, what if you were reading about you? What if your life was the gospel book we used in churches to meditate upon each week? What if instead of Jesus always having to be patient, kind, loving, selfless, forgiving, generous, courageous, brave, and the like, what if you were the one who lived and became those things? So here's the truth. That's what we're looking for. The one Jesus had the hardest time teaching. That you were just like him. Your story like his story. And to each their own. But a story is a story. That when this life is over, you'll be handed a book to read for eternity. And it won't be the Bible. Instead, it will be your story. And what you read will be either hell to read or heaven to read. Was your life's work to make a billion dollars just to make a billion dollars? Was your life's work to get revenge on all your enemies? Was your life's work to skate through assignments and barely make it through every day? Could you not get over a grudge, a hurdle, or a trauma? Or did you pick up the pen while you were alive and start writing your own story? Did you learn to love when nobody gave you the time of day? Did you study life so that you can extract meaning and purpose in whatever was in front of you? Did you fight the good fight, despite all the odds being against you? Did you give back and help others when you were in a place of privilege? Valentinus taught us that life was but a writing workshop, and Jesus was the subject. Jesus had learned that life was an ugly and beautiful place, And many people would try to seize the pen from his hand. But he never let it go. These early Christians, the Valentinians, didn't want to copy Jesus' assignment and hand that into the teacher as their own. They saw Jesus as a student who got that life was a story, an opportunity to see what an immortal child of God would do when left in the wilds of this mortal life. Jesus' story, his personal story, had inspired those Christians to follow that way. They followed Jesus' resolve to write one's own story. This is the way Jesus taught. Remember, they called them the way. And you can see, it is a narrow way to live your own life. Not many have opted to take that road, but Jesus points it out. Many won't see it, the Bible says, but some will. This is what Jesus has taught humanity. This is his gift. And this is what Jesus has taught me as child of God will one day return to immortality. As we close this series in the Gospel of Truth, let me sum it up with this wonderful poem by Walt Whitman called, O Me, O Life. O me, O life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, of myself forever reproaching myself, for who more foolish than I, and who more faithless? Of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the objects mean, of the struggle ever renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plotting and sordid crowds around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest me intertwined. The question, oh me, so sad recurring, what good amid these, oh me, oh life? The answer, that you are here, that life exists, and identity that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. Amen.